different version. Maybe you've heard the story of a stranger who came into a small town one day and stood in the center of town square. He had on a very strange coat. It was black and sewn onto it were patches of cloth of all sizes, shapes, and colors. As word spread of this strange visitor, the townspeople gathered around in curious silence. Finally, a brave soul dared to ask about the significance of the unique coat. The stranger immediately began to point to different patches and explained that they represented the sins of different people in the town. Embarrassed, some people left the square. Indignant, others shook their head in denial of the accusations. After explaining every patch and denouncing every sin, the man turned around and headed out of town. Now on the man's back was a dark patch of cloth that covered almost his entire back. The townspeople wondered out loud what and whose sin that patch represented. Suddenly a voice rang out loud and clear. That represents his own sin, for he is willing to point out the shortcomings of others and yet fails to see his own. Now that's a story from Feasting on the Word, perhaps that you've heard, I suspect it's probably been told in a few different ways. But the Bible kind of has its own version of that story. In Matthew 7, 3, we see the words, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Both the story I told and the scripture, that describes, both describe undesirable behavior. That is, of pointing out the sins of others while failing to see our own. And so there's two things, friends, that we have to unpack today. The first is, is we have to work hard to do the hard work of avoiding pointing out the sins of others, of our brothers and sisters, in all the places we gather. But equally as important and perhaps sometimes overlooked, we need to create space to recognize our own sin. And as I have often said, it's a beautiful thing when seminary reading helps in sermon preparation. I'm going to share uh, with you some words from Dorothy Day about knowing ourselves. Now, Dorothy Day has a book called Selective Writings. It's actually a book written about her writings, not by her. I'd like to share with you, and just some background on Dorothy Day. She is known for her work. She passed some years ago. But she was known for giving up about everything that she had and living a very simple existence. And she worked with the poor all the days of her life. And she's known as one of the greatest advocates of people when you start researching that ministry has ever seen. So in speaking about knowing ourselves, Day states, much as we really want to, we don't know ourselves. And she questions, do we really want to see ourselves as God sees us? Or even how our fellow human beings see us? Could we bear it, weak as we are? And she goes on to write, We do not want to be given that clear inward vision which discloses to us our most secret faults. And I think she writes much more, but I think that's enough for us to ponder for this morning. Notice how she refers to God. She refers that God sees us, how God sees us, and also she refers to how people see us. Now, I'll always argue that the way God sees us is most important. But I do think it's interesting that she, she calls out how do people see us. 
Because I would argue that people see us and they perceive God in our actions. And so the question we should ponder is, is, what would others say about us through our actions? I think those are interesting questions. I think we should just hold on that for a little bit as we progress forward. We'll come back to it. And so in the scripture today, we, we see it's about choices. Choices about food. Choices about which days are holy. And we see that some people in the scripture, they eat anything. Some choose to only eat vegetables. Some observe certain days, but others observe other days. And we also see Paul very clearly speaking about the danger of judging others. And that is also a choice. Just as food is, uh, judging folks is also a choice. And Paul opens his, his words with the words of welcome. Welcome those who are weak in faith. But not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Now we could argue what constitutes weak faith and what constitutes strong faith. Perhaps we could do that one day, but today that's not my purpose. What I want to say is that the scripture really seems to focus more on the spirit of those in discussion, how they treat each other, of not letting differences of opinion get in the way of Christian fellowship. And for Paul, the Christian fellowship is at the center. And we know in life that we have differences. That's nothing new. We also know that it's probably our human tendency to judge other people. We judge other people's actions. And when we make judgments on people's actions, then the question becomes, are we really making an assessment of their faith? And I think judging others is compounded when we view the level of someone else's faith as their cause of weakness, our perceived cause of their weakness. In the context of judging others, we might have the tendency to think our faith is stronger than those who are behaving in ways that we do not approve of. And so I ask you this morning, how does that sit with you? As you think about life, do you think it's accurate to say that it's human nature to make judgment about people's actions and their faith? And how do we feel about folks that don't attend church the way we do or maybe don't think like we do for a variety of reasons? And as you think about that, what Paul is clearly saying here is our judgment, friends, means nothing. Who are we to judge the actions of others? In Bible study, one of, uh, one of the people on the line pointed out the message translation of the scripture, and I think Eugene Patterson says it pretty bluntly. He says, when the judgment day comes, we will all be kneeling beside, side by side facing God. Our critical and condescending ways are not going to improve our standing with God one bit. We've got our hands full tending to our own life and relationship with God. I think he says that beautifully. And when I read in and I take these words in, I immediately go right back at Dorothy Day's words about looking at our own sin, doing the hard work of knowing who we are in God's eyes, and considering where we have sinned, and being honest about where we might need to improve. And perhaps the need to quarrel with others in our human nature part, that's probably part of the work we need to do. And when reading Paul's words about quarreling, it doesn't take me very long to think about the things that people are very passionately quarreling about in today's day. And I don't know about you, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about the pressing issues among us today, but there's about three that come to my mind, coronavirus being probably the first one. 
probably our election in politics would be the second. And then we have all of the unrest and the riots and issues of, of keeping public safe. These are just some issues that come to mind. And when, we, when we're out and about, these issues, they bring such strong feelings, such passionate arguments, heated arguments, tend to flow from these things. And before I get into the weeds, that's not my purpose today. I don't want to go too far down that road. But I just want to bring us back to this piece down the word says, for Paul, it's not about the opinions, but rather about the spirit of those who are in conversation, the spirit of how people treat each other when they don't agree. In other words, we don't always have to agree. But he was cautioning the Christians that he was speaking to on the need to treat each other with dignity and respect. That's what the issue is. Because sometimes these strong opinions and the judgment and the opposition, that can lead people to avoid each other. And that results in a loss of Christian fellowship. And that's where Paul was taking issue with, the division of Christian fellowship. And everything I've read about Paul says that he liked a good debate. He liked to argue theologically. And he was a good debater. This is about respect for each other, not the position. I'm not telling people what position they should hold. Neither was he. He's just saying we need to respect each other. We know not everyone will have the same views. And I would argue that diversity of thought is a great thing. That's what makes problems get solved. That's what brings solutions. That's what brings community is diversity. But we want to create environments that allow folks to fellowship and be individuals at the same time. And I would say that work, social media, all the various places we occupy are the environment. We can't just think about the church environments. All the places that we gather, these are all places to show Christian love. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard for me. I have my own opinions. And if we're honest about it, some of the opinions that others hold, they just don't align with what we think and we feel so passionately. And so what are we supposed to do? I think that's the question. But surely we're not supposed to do anything. Nothing, rather. Have you ever heard the saying, hate the sin, but love the sinner? Now, I don't like the word hate. I don't use the word hate much. I try to eliminate it whenever I can. But what I tend to see now, when I'm out and about, or when I'm looking at social media, it seems like people aren't taking that advice at all. It seems like they're actually showing as much disdain for the person as they are for the sin. It's like the person becomes the personification of the thing that's not liked. And so we're not separating the person from the behavior. Maybe it's just, I see these things on social media. I just know that in my 46 years, I've never seen so much division between people. So much arguing, so much spirited discussion. People flat out judging people in public and it hurts my soul. It really does hurt my soul. And could you imagine if some of the comments that we read on Facebook we're on a church Facebook page. I thought about that when I was writing my sermon. There'd be outrage because the church isn't supposed to judge people. The church shouldn't be speaking about politics. The church is supposed to welcome all people. And the church should be about love. And in my notes, I wrote my point exactly. Those things wouldn't go on a church Facebook page because the church should stand in opposition to judgmental and, and divisive behaviors. And the church is supposed to be transformative. 
If it doesn't stand apart from dominant culture, how can it transform culture? Church must be different than culture. And if we just think about human nature, we don't like to spend time with people that demean or judge us. Not willingly, it's our nature to avoid that at all costs. And we choose to spend time with people who support and encourage us. And friends, that is grace. We choose to hang out with those that show us grace. Believers who are strong in their faith, trusting God's grace is portrayed to us through Jesus Christ. And so really the scripture is about Paul telling them to love each other and it's about radical grace. It's about the concept of a life lived without judgment, but with grace. And a message of life that's characterized by loving grace in the face of enduring disagreements. We must maintain grace. We are called as the body of Christ to be graceful. And friends, our disagreements and judgments here on earth, they're not final. God has the last word, which is what Paul is saying. Now, I've titled this sermon, Grace. It's what's for dinner. It's all about grace, friends. Radical grace. Grace for other people's choices. Now, friends, we can choose to eat the prime rib, which I would suggest you do as often as you can. We can choose to eat the vegetarian platter, if you'd like. But what we are not going to choose is to lord over fellow believers who hold beliefs and practices that are not our own. We are all children of God. We've been ransomed, redeemed, and claimed by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And once again, we see very clearly, Christ is the example that we should follow. Not worldly culture, but the example of Christ. And you can't separate Jesus from a life characterized by love and grace. Sure, there was conflict in Jesus' time. There was a lot of it. But we see a Savior that personified love and grace. And as Feasting on the Word states, conflict is always always going to be based on a difference of opinion. There's also a power dynamic between the parties. And the very bringing up power means that there could be a weak party, there could be a strong party. The question, though, for Paul is, is how do we make it so that all gather as one and love Christ? And we should notice that in the midst of strong opinions in this scripture, Paul didn't take sides. He didn't take sides. He didn't tell people how they should believe. He just told them they need to respect each other. He was a mediator. His goal was to keep both sides in fellowship and to maintain respect and to hold the community together. And for Paul, the way to do this was certainly about faith. And his message is, is that even devout folks can disagree and still be faithful. It was also about accountability. Accountability to each other and accountability to God foremost. The one thing is for certain for Paul, and for modern life. Conflict can tear apart communities. It can tear apart workplaces. It can tear apart relationships. It can tear apart a multitude of things. And we know that in life, conflict is inevitable. We may try to avoid it, but it's inevitable. And therefore, we should know how to deal with it. And as we see here, Paul provides for a prescription for how to deal with conflict. Here are the steps. We are to welcome those, everybody, especially those who he deemed were weak. Be tolerant of differences. Remember that people come to know and love God through diverse practices. Focusing on the log in our own eye and not quite the splinter in our neighbor's eye. 
for which is the bigger sin. And friends, the focus of the faith community, the body of Christ, the church, is not judgment. That's in God's hands. The church is called to pursue what makes for peace and what brings mutual uplifting. And as I close, friends, here are the three lessons I want you to learn. The first is, whatever you do, do for God's glory. Because in life and death, we belong to God. Number two, find significance in your own faith journey. Focus on yourself without judging others. With the grace and love of Jesus as your focus, love and grace will become more of your focus. And with your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, you won't be looking in the rear view mirror. But you'll be looking forward to a future with God as God continues to mold and shape us to accomplish God's plans for our life. And number three, friends, grace is always on the menu. It was always on the menu at the places where Jesus ate with everybody that he ate. So as I close, friends, serve grace and love always. God bless you. Friends, I know that by now,